This is a prayer that we take from the lips of Jesus, but also from the Hebrew scriptures in the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And this prayer is foundational to our faith here at this church because it is a declaration not only of who we know our God to be, but who we see ourselves as, as followers of this one loving God. So please pray with me. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Now hear these words as I read to you from the second chapter of the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is a portion of the story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this week marks the beginning of ordinary time or kingdom tide on our Christian liturgical calendar. And in fact, as Matt mentioned, today is Trinity Sunday, where we celebrate the three persons of God and their loving and constant and inspiring love for each other and for us, and the invitation for us to join them in the dance of love. Though the word Trinity is not used within the pages of our Bible The concept of the Trinity has become foundational to our understanding of our God and our relationship with that God. And so this morning, even though our scripture does not mention God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit as an active participant within this moment of the drama, I thought that using these three figures of the Godhead Godhead might inform our conversation. And so first, we talk about God, our creator, father, mother, author of life. God the creator and God the sustainer has been speaking for a long time. Abraham Joshua Heschel is quoted as frequently saying the words, words create worlds. And this is certainly the case with the God that we worship. This God speaks and the entire cosmos comes into being. This God breathes and life sprouts forth from clay. When this God begins to tell a story, our entire histories are born. This week with the Vacation Bible School, with the 500 people that we had here every day of the week, it was a beautiful and joyful and messy week. It was rather interesting. What I really appreciated, though, about this week was that the kids learned the foundational story within our Bibles as they came day after day this week. The story of an oppressed and enslaved people that cry out to God and a God that hears those cries and decides to set this enslaved people free. Our children this week learned the story of Moses and the Exodus. And as the people come out of their 
slavery. As they begin this exodus from Egypt, God gives them a commandment that they're to tell and retell this story of liberation over and over. They tell this to the next generation, and that generation will tell the next, and this story will be told continually for all time. Part of the way that this people retells this story is through the biblical feasts. We had a biblical feast last week in Pentecost, a feast that has roots within the Exodus. Each of these feasts celebrates a different part, a different aspect of the Exodus story. And the three primary festivals, Sukkot and the Passover and Pentecost, we have some form of celebration here at this church. As the people of God, we tell these stories over and over. And in the retelling, the people of God begin to remember some things. The people of God remember that it was not them that set themselves free, that they were dependent on God and God's chosen deliverer. They remember that they were once the poor, the oppressed, the foreigner looking for the new home. The people of God remember that they were the ones that were once dependent on the care and the compassion of others. And they remember that God hears the cry of oppressed people. And as they tell this story and they remember these things about themselves, they learn that God is still telling his story. That God is still speaking. The generations of God's people that tell this story of God learn that they too become participants in the story that God tells. They learn that as God speaks, he speaks their names and they become actors within this drama. Now the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the inspirer, the breath, and the wind of God as we prayed this morning. Last Sunday was Pentecost, which we celebrated here with sticky buns. And Pastor Matt taught us about the Acts 2 account of the Pentecost holiday and the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given on that day. Pastor Matt said something pretty brilliant that I want to revisit and talk about a little bit. But before I get to quoting Pastor Matt, I want to do a little bit of work on what these words, what Pentecost actually is. So Pentecost is the Greek name for this holiday. And in Greek, it just translates to 50th. That's all it really means is 50th. Because Pentecost is the 50th day beyond the Passover. In Hebrew, the holiday was originally called Shavuot, which means weeks. And so this is the Feast of Weeks, where you count a week's worth of weeks, seven weeks, 49 days, and then celebrate on the 50th day, Shavuot. This is a holiday that means 50. Whether you call it that in English or Passover, or I'm sorry, Greek or Hebrew, it's just 50th. And so we find ourselves looking again at this Exodus narrative, and we look to where the people of Israel were on the 50th day beyond the Passover. The people of Israel find themselves on that day at the foot of Mount Sinai, and Moses climbs the peak. As Moses comes to the top of the peak, God meets him on the top of that mountain, and God gives a gift to Moses, the gift of Torah. Now, Torah, we often interpret as law, and law is an interpretation, a translation of this word Torah, but it's not a very sufficient one. Uh, it might be better interpreted as instruction. But when we're talking about Torah as it accounts for the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses, even saying instruction 
is a little bit lacking. Because Torah is actually a narrative. Torah is this story that we retell. Torah does contain laws, and it does contain commandments and statutes, but these commandments and laws and statutes serve the story of a people being released from slavery. What Pastor Matt said last week was that the law taught the people of Israel how to live as free people under the rule and reign of God's love. This was a people that had been enslaved for more than 400 years. They'd been under the thumb of the Egyptian empire for generations, and they no longer knew what it was to live freely. The only example of so-called freedom that they had was the example given to them by the Egyptians, an example of violence and coercion and oppression. But this law, these rules that were given them, taught them a way to live freely after that slavery. The law was not given to them to keep them in check, but the law was given to them to teach them how to be free in a way that was not violent, but in a way that was compassion, compassionate, a way full of justice and a way of generosity. And so this Torah and this law has been celebrated on the day of Pentecost for the last 3,500 years. And on the particular day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, after Jesus ascended, a little bit more depth and layering was added. On this day of Pentecost, after Jesus ascended, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples. It's called this promised power that would clothe them on high. And in some ways, this Holy Spirit now hearkens back to that Torah. This Holy Spirit now performs a similar function to that of the Torah, and that the Holy Spirit is a gift that teaches the disciples how to live freely after their slavery, after they've been released from the slavery to sin and death. This Holy Spirit teaches us how to be free. And so finally, we move on to Christ, our Savior, Son, Messiah, the one who saves. As you all know, this book of Acts was written by the evangelist Luke, who wrote two volumes for his friend Theophilus. And in this sermon series, we began with two of the resurrection appearances at the end of Luke, and then we moved into Acts, where we've spent the last several weeks going through the first couple of chapters. I want to go a little bit further back in Luke, because I think two things that Jesus says in the fourth chapter of Luke are helpful to our discussion. In chapter 4, Jesus gives us two reasons, two announcements, two explanations of who he is and why he is here. One of them, in verse 43, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, for that is why I was sent. Pastor Dinah taught on the power of the kingdom a couple of weeks ago, so I'll leave that alone for just a moment. The one that I want to highlight, though, is found in verses 18 through 20, where we find Jesus saying this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This, in chapter 4 of Luke, is Jesus' self-proclaimed vocation. And it's a quote 
from the prophet Isaiah, a quote that culminates in the proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. Scholars have often equated this statement with the later statement that Pastor Dinah covered, that this deliverance that Jesus talks about, this healing and this freedom-giving proclamation of the year of of the Lord's favor is the very announcement of the kingdom of heaven. But it begs the question, what exactly is the year of God's favor that Isaiah was talking about in the first place? The answer, of course, lies within another biblical feast. Just as the people of God are called to celebrate every seventh day as a Sabbath day, they're called also to celebrate every seventh year as a Sabbath year. And in these Sabbath years, they're to let the land lie fallow. They're not to work the land They're not to work their servants. They're not to work their animals. And then more than that, the people of Israel then are asked to count seven of these seven Sabbath years. So they count and end up counting 49 years. And in the 50th year, they're to celebrate what's known as the year of Jubilee. This counting of 49 and 50 is a direct echo and reminds us of the counting that we do to come to the day of Pentecost. This year of Jubilee is written about in the book of Leviticus. What you find in Leviticus is that the Jubilee is called a year of justice, that this is a year of the Lord's favor because it's in this year that all of the debts in Israel are forgiven. And these aren't just our spiritual debts. These are real financial debts. Debts are to be forgiven. Lands and homes that have been sold are to be returned to the families that originally owned them. The land must lie fallow once again, and slaves are to be set free in this year. This is a year of radical resetting found in Leviticus, ensuring that no family would be left to the generational curses of poverty, and that equity would remain as a standard among the people of God as long as they were obedient. But the strange part of this is that we have no record that the people of Israel were obedient to this particular command. There's no record within the Bible that they ever practiced a year of Jubilee. There's no record that they ever even practiced one of the seven, every other, every seven years as a Sabbath year. And in fact, the writer of Chronicles even says that it's a lack of these practices of justice that caused the eventual exile of the people to Babylon. Because they did not let the land rest, because they did not practice jubilee, they were sent into exile. But this Jesus comes, and he begins to proclaim that this year of jubilee has finally come. That the poor will be lifted, the stranger will be cared for, the slaves will be set free, and all the lands will be returned to the families that owned them originally. And so with these three things in mind, with these three discussions of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, hear again the scriptures that we shared this morning. The disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by these apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute those proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home 
and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So we find here that the Spirit that's being poured out on Pentecost serves yet another purpose. Not only does this Spirit teach these people how to be free, but the Spirit also then enables and empowers them to move forward in mission and jubilee in and among the world. On this day of Pentecost, the followers of Christ receive along with the Spirit the same vocation that Christ carries. The day the disciples are now the ones to declare this jubilee has arrived. The apostles' teaching is the retelling of the story of liberation over and over, now including and even centering on the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And as these apostles tell that story, the disciples learn that God is still speaking, that God is still telling his story, the story that he's been telling for thousands of years, and that now their names are included as among the active participants in this drama. Their fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers in the temple reinforce this participation in the story of God. And the gift of the Spirit enables them to be a people of justice and freedom, announcing that this justice and generosity and freedom is the way of the kingdom of God. These people carry all things in common, common resources, common practice, common prayer, common meals, and a common vocation. A vocation of generosity and justice and jubilee. And so may we as disciples today here at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, as we continue to tell the story of liberation, may we find that as we tell the story of the living God and the living Son and the living Spirit, that our names too are included as participants within that story. That we too, like the disciples, are a people of generosity and justice, and jubilee. Amen. In response to this word, let us join in our closing prayer. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for the abundant life we enjoy, not in the things we possess, but in the relationships you offer. May we be people of deep love for you and neighbor. May we be people who show unconditional generosity to all we meet. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing hymn from the Faith We Sing hymnal 2150, Lord Be Glorified.
Communion will be available at the rails as we finish worship today. As you go from this place out into the world to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven by feeding the hungry and seeking justice for the oppressed and seeking to heal those that need the healing, please take this blessing with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his face on you and give you peace. Amen.